I think as mothers, we try to please everyone when we put ourselves aside to make everyone else happy. I did that for a really long time, really lost myself in being my son's mother for a few years where he was my whole universe. I had no extracurricular activities. I didn't I didn't have any hobbies. He just, I, I went to work, I came home and he was everything. But then I, I became resentful, kind of had to figure out who I am or how to be me, how to fit back into my life. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries, a community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Fem Mechanics. Femcanics, I want to hear from you and get your feedback. Text me what your favorite episode is, how I could improve the podcast, what products would you like to see, but most importantly, I just want to connect with you. Text me at 614-953-6380. Again, that's 614-953-6380. I receive each message directly, and I'm excited to hear from you. Go on, press pause, and save my number, 614-953-6380. Amy Bogner is in the driver's seat today. She is a single mother and refinish technician veteran. She was invited to an all-female build that was featured at SEMA, and Amy has taught BOCI auto body classes to high school-age kids. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Amy Bogner on the hot seat or driver's seat tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you? I I am doing well. I'm. We can chat about what it is like being in this industry for a female, as we always do on Femcanic, but specifically your journey. You had a recent post. I had to do a double take when I read it. Are you six foot tall? I am. Yeah, I am. I saw that and I'm like, what the six foot? Like that's that's really tall for a female. And but yeah, sitting here on Zoom and even in pictures, it's hard to like tell. It's tell. hard to tell. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, I posted a couple of videos, and I think you can. It's kind of more noticeable, but like, yeah, you know, when you were painting. standing, was that Christian Leitner you were standing next to? Yes, yes, and he's oh my god, what is he like six seven or something like that, right? And he, you looked like a five two woman next to him. <laughs> I look small. I know. And then when I you know. called out, I'm six foot. It's like holy shit. Like average for a female is five five. So I, I know that's totally off topic, but I had to reread that to make sure I was reading it right because a lot of females are not six foot tall. And I have to ask the the total predictable question: Did you play sports? I did when I was like real young, like um, grammar school, middle school, but I didn't in high school. <clears throat> I was pretty anti-sports, anti-social in high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just out of pure curiosity. 
Wow, that is way cool. A lot of people ask me that <laughs> if I played basketball. Yeah, volleyball. or volleyball or something. Yeah. The um and I imagine that may help you in your job as well. It does. Yeah, it definitely does. Um on larger vehicles. Yeah, because I'm sitting there, I'm five two. And I'm like, the step stool is my best friend. But you have to watch if you're painting cars that you're not bumping that into anything and it's easier to control your body. Yeah. Rather than control your body on a mm-hmm. step stool. So that's interesting. Sorry, completely off topic. Never, but... um, have you ever stood on the step stool and had it like shift while you were on it? Hell yeah. It's, I'm not a fan <laughs> of heights. And then, you, and then you have like a mini heart attack. Yeah. And, and the thing is, you guys are painting. So yeah. if, you, if it shifts and you fall on the car that you're painting. Right. Amy, I want to go back. And I want to learn a little bit about your journey into the industry, because it always fascinates me the different ways that women arrive in the automotive industry. Sometimes it's very intentional. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's very planned. And sometimes it's not planned at all. So can we kind of take it back to why and when did you get into this industry? It definitely wasn't planned. It was never something I'd ever, ever imagined getting into. I had a group of uh, male friends um, when I was late teens, early 20s, and they did the whole import scene with the, you know, the um, import cars and the body kits and all that stuff. I, so I kind of got into it, bought a car, my first standard, one of my guy friends taught me how to drive it. I spent, it was like, 2000, 2500, something to have it painted. We, we removed the side moldings. It was a um, 1990 Integra. Those are fun cars. It was my baby. I loved it. It was, was not fast at all, but it looked really pretty when it was done. Yeah. And then a month later, I got into a car accident. After you painted it? After I had it painted, yeah. And I was so, I was like devastated because at that time, I mean, that was a lot of money for me to like sell out to have somebody paint that car for me, you know? Absolutely. I bought a, and I was actually, was living in the apartment upstairs from my mom. So what I did is I bought a parts car. There was no engine, no transmission, had it towed, put it in my mom's backyard, which I know for a fact she did not enjoy. And I just kind of started taking things apart on it. And taking things apart of my car, and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I just was like, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure it out." So I swapped these parts off of the parts car. It's a different color. It was black. My car was red, and I just started swapping parts over the parts that I had damaged. And I so I ended up having a salvage title on it. So which is why I decided I was just gonna kind of do it myself, fix it myself. I bought the car back. I had decided to enroll in auto body school to learn how to paint it myself once I had all the parts swapped over. Wow. What did you do? Just Google a bunch of stuff? No, I didn't even, I don't even, was Google even a thing then? I don't even know if it was. <laughs> I'm sure it might have been. YouTube? I mean, the answer now is I just YouTubed it. <laughs> You're right, right. But I didn't at the time. No, I think I just started taking nuts and bolts out and, Figuring out, you know, like any of the broken parts, I was just figuring, figured out how to take them off. And I honestly, because it, it was so long ago, I don't really remember. It almost seems like another lifetime, doesn't it? 
really does. Yeah, it really does. Um, my mom was always very handy. I remember when growing up, though, you know, she always did a lot of things herself. So you were in your 20s when when you did that? Yeah, I want to say I was like maybe 20, 21. So you enrolled in a auto body course or, or yeah, program? Um, community college. It was a community college, um, but they ha- and they have an auto body program, Erie Community College. You lived with your mom. Are you close with your dad at all? No, my father's not in my life. Okay. How did your, would your mom encouraging with that? I don't think so. I don't think she, I used to, I used to race that car and stuff and she didn't really appreciate that. Um, I'd gotten in a couple speeding tickets, got her kicked off of her car insurance. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't really think she was a fan of me, um, doing the car stuff, but I had my mindset, you know, and it's kind of when I'm set on something, you're not really going to be able to talk me out of it. Absolutely. Maybe she wasn't a fan because you got her kicked off of your, her insurance. (laughs) Maybe she wasn't a fan because that's motherly instinct to want to protect your children. And I know I'm worried about me racing cars and whatever, you know, sure. Yeah. So you completed that program then? I did. Yep. I got an associate's degree. What happened next? Did you start just looking for a job at that point? Well, I actually um, remember if someone had told me about the job. I had only finished my first year, and I had gotten a job with a dealership um, not too far down the road. I finished up, so I would go to work. Once I started working at that dealership in the body shop, I would go work there in the morning and then I was finishing up my, I would do night classes till probably about 11 o'clock at night. So I did that for like a year until I finished the program. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Basically two full-time jobs, your day job and then school at night. It was like the best. I tell people this all the time. It was like the best time of my life. Those two years. What about it made it the best time of your life? As I was doing something that I actually was interested in. You know, like I was excited about it. I was excited to learn all these new things. I mean, I'm sure sure there was a couple of classes that I didn't uh, didn't really enjoy. We had to take some mechanical, you know, suspension and electrical. I didn't really enjoy those. But the friends that I made, um, I became friends with the teachers afterwards. You know, I stayed in contact with a couple of the teachers and I don't know, just the overall atmosphere I fit in. Did you feel like in high school that you didn't fit in? Did not fit in. Did not. It was. Uh, I went to an all girls school, Catholic all girls high school. Oh, that was rough for me. He couldn't pay me to do it again. I wow. I I couldn't do that. It was it was tough. I made some really great friends, and and now I'm I'm glad that I I I went there. You know, I think it taught me a lot of things, um, but. It's tough. I did not enjoy it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you felt like it was kind of a coming home for you when you attended this, this college where you had this experience? Yeah. I, I mean, in the beginning I was nervous because I I knew I was going to be one of the only, if not the only female Mm -hmm. in the program, which, you know, freaked me out a little bit, but would you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert, Amy? I'm an introvert, for sure. Yeah. 
Do you ever experience any like social anxiety in going into settings like that? I used to. It kind of it depends on the setting, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, it depends on if I'm I'm going to just like hang out with people or if I'm going and it's going to be somewhere where I'm being judged on something. Mm-hmm. You know, makes yeah. any sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's different going and being a spectator and watching something versus someone watching you. Right. I can be very outgoing if I'm in a setting with friends or just out in public, just enjoying, you know, just, yeah, like you said, if people are watching me specifically, I get very nervous. And that's kind of the point of college is they're looking at what you're doing. So did you um, end up being the only female or one of the only females? I was the only female in a lot of my classes. I don't know if it was the first year or the second year, but there um, there was a couple girls, a couple females, um, women, I just say women, that I would see. They didn't, I think our classes were kind of mixed in. So I didn't have classes with them, but I'd see them in other classes mm-hmm. across the hall in a different body shop class. Like they weren't actually in my specific. How were you received? I've been told, I, I didn't notice this at the time, but I've been told from people, from men that were in those classes with me after the fact that they thought it was a joke. Like, are you kidding? She's serious? The joke that you were in there. And that's when you started. Where did they end up? After I had to, you know, after I kind of proved you know, I ended up being one of the top, towards the top students, you know, so then it, it, I basically had proved myself, mm-hmm. which is kind of unfortunate that I even had to do that. But yeah, it is unfortunate. And it, it, it always fascinates me to hear about women's experience in these classroom settings. Because there's this setting of work when they go off and apply for a job and work at a shop. Then there's this experience that happens before they even get there. One of my goals for Femcanic Garage is to break down barriers for females. Mm -hmm. And I often thought it started in the shops. But what I'm learning is that it needs to start community colleges and tech schools. It actually starts there. Yeah, we definitely need a little bit more encouragement as far as that goes. I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was disappointed when I found that. And I'm not saying all tech schools that that's the experience, but it seems like at every tech school, at least one professor is that way. I it was I think it was intro to auto body was one of my was the class. The professor wanted us to, or teacher, instructor, I should call him, wanted us to write a paper. And I can't remember specifically what it was supposed to be about or the, you know, the title or whatever. But I remember writing in the paper about how I had been nervous. Basically, my feelings about coming into the program, being a a woman. He was really accepting of the paper and he actually talked about it in class which was nice. You know, I, I got an A on it, but he just told everyone in class about the paper and it, I don't know, it felt really great. He was super supportive and that was nice. I would say most of the professors are, were pretty supportive. I think it's just 
getting out, reaching out to the public prior to them getting into schooling to let them mm-hmm. to know to make them feel comfortable to even think about getting into something like that in them meaning women yes this is an evolution and i think i've interviewed a, you may be close to 70 women and it, it it's been quite the learning experience for me learning from all of you mm-hmm. and you guys cover so many different facets of the industry and but i'm starting to see themes The other theme is the dating theme. What I mean by that is a lot of the women that I have interviewed that are really interested in their craft, and for you it's painting, and the women in these industries have often are referred to as a distraction. And to me that's kind of bizarre. It it is and it's, it's not. We we're human beings and we recognize other attractive human beings. Fine. Did you run into any of that in college? Like they're trying to ask you out. They're trying to where it's not professional necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's these were 20 something men. Very hormonal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was it flattering or did it get annoying? What What was like your experience around that? Both. I actually dated one of the guys from the program, but he was a year above me. But in my classes, I did get hit on I brushed it off then and I do the same thing now I just kind of play it off like it's not a big deal you know Mm -hmm. I just almost ignore it but is it done respectfully or is it done in a -hmm. disrespectful way part of what I'm hoping to to get out of Femcanic Garage in general is not just for women but for men too because I think there's some great guys out there trying to figure out how to navigate this where they want to be respectful but it, it it almost seems like this mysterious thing for them to, to, and so much so that some of them avoid hiring women altogether because they don't even, they're not sure how to handle any of it. And they're so afraid of getting a lawsuit for sexual harassment that they, it's like, why bother? Let's just hire the dude, even though the dude may not be as good as, have as good as skills as the female. And I think part of this is education. and And it is challenging to navigate sometimes i I acknowledge that it depends on people but i mean if you were to give advice to men in those classes or even co-workers or managers at a shop what would you tell them making comments to women or you mean just in general with working with a woman in a shop i I think it kind of is both right because when you work in a shop comments happen people talk and It may happen that someone is attracted to someone else in that shop. Now, normally it's all men. Right. You put a female in there, it may happen. Someone may find you attractive. And what is a professional way to handle that, in your opinion? No right or wrong, just your opinion. Right. I'm partial to compliments. So if you're complimenting my work... You know, I appreciate that kind of a thing. Also, just coming forward and asking me out versus, you know, just making comments about the way I look. Or um, I'm, I'm actually not really a fan of comments about the way I look. I get kind of not offended, but more like, why? Why do you think I care about your opinions on my appearance? 
Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, why is my appearance? Even- why are you commenting on how my jeans are fitting me? If you find me attractive, right. Right. grow a set and tell me you find me attractive. Right. And let's exactly. let's deal that he- deal with that head on rather than these kind of passive, almost I don't know, elementary or high school <laughs> ways of handling it. That's exactly what it is. I had a coworker um, make some comments to me. And I said, you know, I actually came right out and uh, I called him a pig. And he got upset about that. And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, if you want to say things like this to me, you know, I'm basically allowed to say whatever I want to you. You know, like it's it goes hand in hand. But I, I. Do you mind sharing something that he said to you? Just just to put it in context. No names. I was joking around with him about something, and um, he told me that he was going to spank me. Hmm. Yeah, so... I mean, the thing you were joking with him about, was it sexual in any way? No. No, no, no. No, it was like, just like I had, I don't know, I had like jokingly talked back to him. I can't even remember what it was. I wish I could remember what it was. It wasn't a sexual thing by any means, because I was caught off guard when he said that to me. So in other words, how was it even relevant? It wasn't. I'm pretty sure a dude wouldn't say to another dude, I'm going to spank you. <laughs> well, okay. So that, that's, this is where I was getting next. Um, a few days later, he had made another comment to me. And that's when I told him, I was like, you know what? You're a pig. Like you really are. And that's when he, he got kind of offended. And I said, listen, I said, I want you to go up to the other body, the, to the body guys. And I want you to tell them that you're going to spank them. What'd he say? And he was like, uh, he was like, oh, I'm good on that. And I said, no, no, seriously, go, go, go tell, you know, so-and-so that you're going to spank them. Go ahead. And he was like, all right, maybe I overstepped my boundary. He's like, you proved your point. And I'm like, well, like, come on. This isn't about proving points. If you are not comfortable saying something to your other coworkers, why are you comfortable saying it to me? How am I any different from your coworker, your other coworkers? Do you know what I mean? Other than you have boobs. That's the only difference. Right. But the fact is, is we're making money together. I'm making money for you. You're making money for me. Like we're, we're, co- we're a team here and mm-hmm. you shouldn't be saying things to me that you wouldn't say to them. People will ask, how do we make our shops more, for lack of a better term, more female friendly? And I've struggled with trying to simplify the answer to that. And I, I think what you just said, Amy is the simplest advice we could give male managers, male coworkers is, is what you would say to me exactly what you would say to a male coworker. Or would you feel weird saying it to him? Would you feel weird telling your male coworker that you're going to spank him? (laughs) Right. I'm going to guess. Yes. You're going to feel a little weird. Because that means it's probably something sexual, which, which means it would make them uncomfortable. You know what I mean? If- yeah, say it with the same tone and the same intention to your male coworker. And exactly. if that weirds you out, probably shouldn't be saying it to the female coworker. Exactly. That is a great, simple way of putting it, Amy. You finished school. You got a job while you were going through school halfway. It was to your program. You graduated school. You got your associates. Did you continue working at that dealership then? I did. I worked there for about four and a half years. 
And then I left, I needed a change of scenery and I started inspecting vehicles that were turned in for when a lease was up. Mm -hmm. I did that for about two years and that was the time when I got pregnant. And then after I had my son, I went back into working, doing body work at a shop. This is always an interesting topic to talk about with females is your experience in the automotive industry during pregnancy and post-pregnancy. What was that like for you? Like you you found out you were pregnant. Kind of walk me through your experience with that and how you handled that with your employer. So when I was inspecting the cars, that wasn't a big deal because I was outside. I wasn't in shops, but I was also at the time working at night for a collision shop. And I had to call him and tell him that I wasn't going to work for him anymore. I wasn't comfortable working in a body shop while pregnant. I didn't know, you know, what the chemicals and if that would cause harm to the baby. So that was almost immediate. I want to say the day of that I found out I was pregnant. I called him and told him that I was going to be able to work for him anymore. And then after I had my son. What did that feel like to you having to do that? Restricting, I guess, is is a good word. It's like the first word that I think of. I was, I was kind of being held back from doing something that I wanted to do. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, Amy. It, it it seems conflicting. One of the reasons why I was really excited to interview you is the fact that you are a single mother, mm-hmm. and you're proud of being a single mother and of your son. I feel, and I'm only speaking for myself, as a parent that loves being a career woman, and I love being a mother, and sometimes those don't work so well together, you know? They don't. And together. <laughs> again, th- this, is, this is me saying, and you, you, you weigh in on it as well here, is that it's, it almost feels like this guilt f- for loving my career in finding part of my identity as my career and figuring out what that balance is between being a great mom and being there for my kids, but also honoring myself. Does that make sense? Yes. And when I, when I watched you on Instagram and I started to get to know you, I, I saw part of my story in you and I was excited to have that conversation with you tonight to get another female's perspective on what that experience is like. And I'm not a single mom. My partner is amazing and helps me so much. I don't have to, I don't have to face this by myself, but there's still that conflict and almost like that guilt that I have in trying to figure out if I'm doing it right. And, And I'd love to get your take as a single mother and that's why I asked that question. You know, what did that feel like? Like, if if I knew the right decision, quote unquote, air quotes, the right decision is to not do something that I enjoy doing for my baby, anyone in the world would say that's the right decision. But internally, you're feeling restricted from doing something you love. And I'm, I'm sorry, I... I think the majority of men, as it relates to careers, don't face that. They just don't. The female goes and has the baby. Society says, female, figure it out. And 
typically, not all the time, but typically men are rewarded for being the career person. Yeah, I'm getting all, I feel all choked up just listening to you talk about it. It's, it's hard to, even when you explain it to some people or men, they can't even really comprehend the emotions that go along with it. You know, even if you explain how hard it is or you try to explain, they, I don't think they will ever fully grasp it. The, the guilt is unbelievable for the all around guilt, the guilt of, am I, am I doing what's right for my baby? Am I doing what's right for me? Am I doing what's right for my family? Am I doing what, right? What's, you know, it's, I think as mothers, we, um, a lot of us try to please everyone, you know, and we put ourselves aside to make everyone else happy. And, um, I did that for a really long time. I think I, I really lost myself in being my son's mother. I want to say for it was for a few years where it just he was he was my whole universe. You know, I I had no extracurricular you know activities. I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't have any hobbies. He just I I went to work. I came home and he was everything. You know, and. Um, then I, I became resentful as he started to get a little older. Um, and I'd say the last like two years, I kind of had to figure out who I am almost, you know, um, or how to be me again, how to fit back into my life. And that resentment is so confusing. I, and I'm not speaking for you. I'm speaking for myself in, mm-hmm. you know, my my partner has brought this to my attention. She's like, Jamie, do you realize that you're using the word sacrifice? And sacrifice is that language is the starting is kind of the direction of resentment. Mm-hmm. But as a mother, it's like you you have this life before you have children. And mm-hmm. you have your identity, and even then you're trying to figure it all out, right? You don't have it all figured out even then. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> then you have children, and then you become, like, my kids' names are Jaden and Jordan. Jaden and Jordan's mom. Like, you don't even have a first name. You're their mom. Yeah, you no longer exist. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a dog. You go to a dog park, and you're Snowball's mom. <laughs> it's not. Right. You don't have a right. first name. And, and it's it's almost like it's. I don't know, this sounds so strong, but stolen from you, right? And it sounds strong, yes. but in the moment, it's it, true though. It feels that way, right? But mm-hmm. then you have this um, immense guilt for feeling this resentment because resentment is typically geared towards a person. You're resenting a person. Mm-hmm. But you're a mother, <laughs> you know? Right. I don't know if it was so much. I mean, how do you, you can't really, at least I didn't, I don't think I could actually resent my son, but I resented, um, my son's father. Uh, I resented myself for putting myself in the situation that I was in. You know, I, I've, that's always one thing I've told myself, you know, I, I, I complain about things, but I also put myself in the situation that I'm in, you know? So it's how much can I complain about, you know, I just have to accept it and, took me 
long, it took me years, years and years and years to stop resent, resenting. I still do some, but. What would you, what advice would you give to maybe other mothers that are maybe just starting this journey? Maybe they're, they just had a child and because I, I interviewed Olivia Cook as well and she had to take a year off. She's a painter. She's a phenomenal painter as well. She paints mm-hmm. boats and automotive everything, but, and she had to take a year off from doing the thing that she loves and trying to navigate having that conversation with her employer. Because the reality is, is most of these shops don't have maternity plans in place. <laughs> they just don't. I have to tell you the situation that I was in the shop, I was nursing my son and I this was a very small shop and they had nothing as far as maternity support. But I, so, but anyways, I was pumping and I would have to go out to my car and sit out my car. And then I'd, you know, and it was just super uncomfortable. They all knew what I was going out there to do. You know, it's just, it was not ideal. Granted, this was, things are better now. I know that because um, there's been a lot of fighting for normalizing breastfeeding, which that wasn't really a thing 10 years ago, but it was uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Who said it? I, I've, gosh, I forget who said it, but when they go and interview for a job, before they accept the job or even decide whether that particular shop is a viable option they go and look at the bathroom and see how the bathroom's maintained and i'm like oh my god that's kind of brilliant she's like i check their uniforms and i check their bathroom <laughs> and i'm like smart i've worked in some pretty crummy places with some i think it was des who said that i think it was des from nessie's custom customs um and i'm like oh my god that's brilliant and that's great it's advice brilliant. for shop owners because I lived with my brother and my dad all through high school and mm-hmm. living in a home with my brother and my dad. It was disgusting. I but, can only imagine. It, I have a nine year old boy and it's disgusting. It's, it's just splashing. Oh. It's like you clean the damn bathroom. Yeah. Like seriously. Like gross. I'm literally wiping pee off of the toilet every single day. Right. And, and you yeah. do your best as a parent to teach them good hygiene and thoughtful hygiene around that but it's freaking nasty like so gross it really is the smell the pee smell like never goes away no it doesn't doesn't. how many times you diaries of mother with young boys (laughs) gosh um i've I, th- there was one shop where I had to walk outside to go to the bathroom. I've been in a couple of shops where I've had to share the bathroom with, with men. Um, they didn't have a women's bathroom. The shop that I'm in now has this gorgeous giant women's bathroom and locker room. And I have it all to myself, which is kind of nice. <laughs> I, and, and I'll tell you what, and just, I don't, I don't think what you're saying is that your expectation is to have separate bathrooms. I, I think we can uh, have and use the same bathroom. Yes, it's absolutely. just the majority of the time in that case, they're disgusting. Yes, they're just yeah. they don't. It's like an option to clean them. <laughs> and, and honestly, who wants to clean them? I, I wouldn't want to. But my God, do something about that. 
there was one that I was in where the, uh, the toilet paper roll was right next to the toilet, literally. So if you were sitting on the toilet, it was within arm's reach. And I walked in there one time and there was a new roll of toilet paper sitting on top of the empty toilet paper roll. And I'm like, are you kidding? They, they couldn't put it on. You change it while you're sitting on the toilet. You can change it. It's right there. It's <laughs> <laughs> real life. I I will oh never understand that. <laughs> I actually took a photo of it, and I think I put it on Instagram because I was like, "This is what working with men is like." Sharing bathroom. They're like giant toddlers. Like, <laughs> I don't. Not all of them. Not, not all, all of the them. Time. I agree. I you agree. Know, but there's but a they're... reason they're stereotypes, though, right? And and that goes both ways for men and women, right? Yeah, but yeah. oh my goodness, yes, sound advice and simple. You had your son. After your son was born, what did you end up doing? When I first found out I was pregnant, I started saving as much money as I could. I had a motorcycle and I sold it and because I knew I was going to have to take time off from maternity leave. I didn't know if it was going to be paid or if it wasn't going to be paid and how I was going to pay my bills. So I just started saving as much as I could, anywhere I could. So I was able to take, I want to say six, somewhere between six and eight weeks can't remember the exact amount. Um, and then I went back to the place that I had called and told him I couldn't work for him anymore, where I was working at night. Um, I actually called him and I went to work for him full time during the day, the place where I had to pump in my car. But I only did that for about a year. It was a, it was a far drive and I wasn't really comfortable being that far from my new baby. You know, mm-hmm. he went to daycare. Uh, actually, for the first couple of weeks, I had him, my brother. Well, we did both. A couple of days at daycare, a couple of days uh, my brother watched him for me, which made me feel a little bit better. You know, it's hard, scary putting your baby in daycare, people you don't know. Strangers oh, yeah. And your brand new baby for you, you know? It's yeah. So t- terrifying. Yeah. I had a lot of anxiety about it. How did you deal with that? Actually, I mean, that wasn't the only reason I had anxiety, but I did. I that first year of Jet's life, I did counseling um, once a week. And then after that, I went on anxiety medication, which I'm still on. Good for you. Yeah. I so appreciate your vulnerability right now, truly. And there, there's taboo around mental health. And mm-hmm. we need to debunk it. And social media doesn't help. Because everyone puts these... Fake lives on there. <laughs> well, maybe it's not fake. It's just selective posts. Do you right. know what I'm saying? And we all have struggles. And the sooner that we all accept that and instead of judging people, help each other, we're all going to get through this a lot easier then. I have found I tend to post things that are pretty accurate to my life um and i that my my coping mechanism is to make jokes out of things so when i have hard things happen i tend to make some sort of a joke about it like sarcasm sarcasm yeah to try and lighten mm-hmm. lighten the situation but i try i tend to be uh, pretty open and honest about my mental illnesses that i've struggled with for a very long time is anxiety the only thing no 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 i i I struggled with depression for a long time. I, in college, 
before I started auto body, I did um, a couple other majors. I kind of bounced around a little bit because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, Who does at that age? Right. Right. So I actually did five years of college, but I only, but I have my, I shouldn't say, I have my two year degree. Um, During that time in college, I was diagnosed with depression, but I didn't really have the anxiety part Mm -hmm. of it. So now I've got both, which is great because one makes you really tired and makes you want to sleep. And the other one keeps you awake. (laughs) (laughs) I'm either really tired and sleepy or I'm like all over the place, excited and jittery. (laughs) It's like a happy medium. When I see other people posting things about their mental illness or their struggles, I appreciate their posts. And it's nice to know that you're not alone. Um, I know. Especially like when I follows like different mom blogs and stuff you know and just to see like their shit shows that happen you're like oh my gosh I'm not the only one like I feel so much better about my life right now um so I tend to post pretty real things and I really have no shame about it because I'm hoping or thinking that somebody that is going through a similar situation is reading it and you know that it makes them feel better about it and I think you're spot on with that Amy yeah I really do and and that takes courage. It really does. And I don't think a lot of people understand how much courage it takes. Barbie the welder sat down for my interview. And we got really raw and very candid about her journey. Mm-hmm. And I have such respect for people who are real about it. it because yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a gamble. You don't know how people are going to react. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, when you have anxiety, you, you automatically think like the worst that people are going to judge you. But at the same time, at, like as I've gotten a little bit older, I've finally just stopped giving a shit what people think about me, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that almost makes me more likable. I totally agree. Yeah. And, and it's like a trust factor. What you see is what you get. It's not about mm-hmm. games. Mental illness, it's not, um, not, it's not your fault, you know? And that's, that's a big thing that people need to realize. It's not something, I mean, you can, you know, you can medicate yourself and, but. Some of it's hereditary. It is. Um, you know? I believe in my, it is. On my father's side, there was mental illness or there is mental illness. So I, I do think it was, it's hereditary as far as I, um, my genetics go, but it's not my fault. So why why should I be ashamed of it? It's who I am. That's it. It's all there is to it. You don't like it? Kick rocks, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm with yet. you. I'm with you. Then the last year I was diagnosed with ADHD and mm-hmm. mental illness. I don't know if it's if ADHD is technically mental illness. I'm I'm not an expert in any of that, but I think it used to be I, I don't know, maybe it still is. But it the point is it's neurological. It, right. And what I feel like my partner is a, a licensed mental health counselor and she has her master's degree in it and she's educated me a lot around it. And she, I had a lot of shame around it. It took me years to actually even go and get the assessment done because of my fear of being diagnosed with something and having to quote unquote take medication, like this fear right. around it, right? And my son, literally, I found out today that he was diagnosed with ADHD. We had an assessment done after, but before I would have him assessed, I had to get right with myself. 
Do you know what I mean? Because I'm not going to go to my son and in any way, shape, or form show shame around it. I don't want him to be shameful of it. But I had to go through that journey first as a parent. And, you know, my partner put it in a really great way, Amy, where she's like, if you have diabetes, you take insulin. No one questions that. You have cancer. You go get chemo. No one questions that. Mm -hmm. So with mental illness, why the taboo? People have cancer and they're memorialized. And, And I'm not saying they shouldn't be in some senses, but it's almost like around mental illness, there's a stigma where it's almost shameful. And I, I don't, there's an evolution that has to happen around that. I don't know what the answer is, but it's something needs to be done. Because when, when I told my parents about it, and I don't know if you had this experience when you shared it with your mom, but my parents' response was, really? We haven't talked about it since. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. You cool with that? <laughs> Got it. Thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah, my mom actually was the was the one that told me that I should go to a doctor and because I had kind of like lost my mind in college the one day. This was before I had started auto body. And I mm-hmm. don't know what caused it. I can't really remember because I was just so out of my mind, like manic. I withdrew from all of my classes. Like I just became upset for some reason. And I went to the registrar's office and I just without even thinking, withdrew from everything. And I called my mom. I was hysterical. I was in the bathroom. I was like crying hysterically. And she was like, you need to go to the school counselor and call your doctor and maybe go on something. It was like. And sometimes that's the most loving thing. It's not meant in a condescending way. No, it wasn't at all. You know, and she, there's been times where I've kind of fell off the deep end or, you know, tried to, you know, switch medications or whatever and just became very nasty. And, you know, she'll call me out on it. And then I'm like, oh, shit, like, I didn't even notice it. I didn't even realize it, you know, because you're just in such a weird state of mind. Mm-hmm. That you realize what you're doing is. And, and I think what people need to understand is you can suffer from mental illness and that doesn't make you a bad parent. Right. That was actually something. That's the connection I want people to get is that it that that does not make you an unqualified parent. I have right. found that it oftentimes makes you a better parent because you're willing to identify these things and willing to go get help. It's the it's the ones that everything's fine, nothing's wrong with my child. It's like get them help. Yeah, that was always a um, big fear of mine is that I would you know, if something ever my son's father and I aren't together and obviously because we we're talking about the single mother thing, but you know, if shit ever hit the fan and, you know, we ended up in court or something and that was always a big fear of my, my mental illness, if that was going to come up and he was going to use that again. Yeah. That was terrifying to me. But the fact that I had been seeking treatment, mm-hmm. you know, counseling or whatever, that just proves that you are fit, that you see that you, that you know, something isn't right, that you're, fixing it, you know, and I mean, obviously the doctors that you're seeing or whatever, they, they make notes, whether you're fit or unfit. But I also think, uh, I, so I'm scared that my son is going to have anxiety or depression someday. 
guess the only thing that makes me feel better is knowing that because I've dealt with it for so long that I will know and I will see the triggers and the, yes. the symptoms and, you know, to address it sooner rather than later if it does an issue. Yeah, I think the absolute worst experience ever for a parent at any age of your child is if your child commits suicide. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, the, I mean, it's a dark topic. But mm -hmm. it's not like a child wakes up one day and commits suicide. There are signs. The question is, is are you paying attention to notice it? Right. Are you asking questions? In yeah, it's it, it, I I said it before and I'll say it again. I so appreciate your vulnerability and Femcanic Garage is about the automotive industry, no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. But we're people first, and it's how women as people fit into the automotive industry as a whole, being who mm -hmm. we are in in all of our femininity and what goes along with it. That the experiences that we have. To be perfectly honest, they're majority of the time different than men. Yes. And that's that's okay. Right. You know, there's a beauty in having diverse experiences and genders. Because the different genders, a lot of times, have different strengths. And it's, it makes it more well-rounded. I agree. I think. Not now. There's now that there's more women getting involved in the automotive industry, it makes it a little bit easier. But that it, it's difficult not having anyone to kind of commiserate with or to kind of to know what you're going through. You it know, is. men have that. Men have that. You know, that's it's built in, right? Because there, it's all men there. You know, and so there's that saying, "Boys Club," and whether they intend to develop that or not, it happens organically anyway and mm -hmm. that's what this is all about creating communities where women can have their tribe and through other women's stories hear their own and it's exactly what you said amy you're not alone we're in this together like motherhood you know i like oh. to hear the i like to hear the nitty-gritty the dirty you know my <laughs> life is a shit show stories about motherhood yeah i also would like to hear that about women in the automotive industry <laughs> yeah yeah i don't need the pretty and pink picture here no, and there no, are the great that, moments yeah. and it's not about being a negative nancy but god please validate that i'm normal <laughs> that i'm not the right. only one <laughs> tell me about all your shitty experiences yeah. <laughs> yeah but so your son was born then you went back to work full-time uh how long were you at that shop only about a year before I um, I left and went to another shop. I've tend to had I tend to do this for some reason. It's like every two two and a half years I I move to a different job, whether it's me looking for more money or somebody has uh, sought me out and offered me more money. So I've I've worked it quite. Doesn't that feel good? It does. It really does. Yeah. You're like, hey, come work for me. It makes that, you feel like you made it a little, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like okay. So hard at. You you're you reached out to me because of my work. And it is as simple as that. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing. What is next for Amy? What's on the horizon for Amy? What do you where do you see yourself in, I don't know, three to five years? Oh gosh. Ideally I would like to be doing something more than painting. 
I don't know. I can't, I can't really see myself kneeling on the concrete floor and having rust fall in my face or, you know, salty water falling in my face when I'm in my forties. I just, or even, I mean, maybe I have another couple of years, good years, but I just, as I get older, I can't really see myself doing the, the brunt work of it anymore. So I don't know. I, I guess I, I would like to explore the idea of owning a job of my own. Running it versus uh, doing the work. Yeah. So like the, the business side of it. I think so. Have you? I've been in enough, I've been in enough shops where I've seen them run in very different ways. Tend to see. Have you started documenting any of those to just kind of? No, not really mentally noted. <laughs> but I don't know. I just, it, this wasn't really, I guess I didn't think about it at the time. You know, I probably should have documented it. You, you still have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. So maybe own your own shop and kind of shift gears for yourself from doing the work to running. I did teach BOCES. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah. what BOCES is. Yeah. Okay. I, I did try that for a year. I taught um, a BOCES class for auto body. I could totally see you teaching. Teaching classes in it. Or, you know, um, I loved, I loved, loved, loved teaching. Did not like the administrative work. I'm not a lesson plan writer. You know, I'm not yeah. a sit at your desk. And, There's a shitty part of every job, I think. Yeah, that was it's too just, much. Is, does the shitty outweigh the good, like the low? <laughs> you got to find out what that is. Teachers are terrible. They are. Isn't that it's disappointing? So, yeah, yes. And I'm like, listen, you want somebody that has experience in this field, which means you're going to have someone that makes a decent amount of money. And, you know, other to obviously you want someone that, that knows what they're doing if you're, they're teaching other people how to do the other. You, you would know, hope. Right. <laughs> so you're going to be taking someone from your field that's going to be making decent money. And then you're throwing them into like teacher salaries and teachers make terrible money. It's unreal. And Mm-hmm. The kids, the kids, oh God, I had some really great kids, but I had some really like tough, tough kids. They don't pay you enough money. <laughs> <laughs> off, off to that homeschooling thing. <laughs> some of those kids, they do not pay. Well, yeah, and that too. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what my kids teacher had to deal with. But yeah. <laughs> You're like, um, here's a tip. <laughs> Here, here's a bottle of wine. Thank you. I, I just want you to know I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, now I'm like, I will buy your teacher whatever she wants. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Amy, I think this is a great time to launch into the red line round. What the red line round is, is it's just five, five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to it. Whatever pops into your head is the right answer. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Oh, God. You ready? Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. How's that yeah. for anxiety? <laughs> Woo! Uh, thank God I have a cocktail. <laughs> okay, number one. Who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? My mom. Tell me more. I think just seeing how strong she was and just how capable she was of doing basically everything on her own. You know, she did it. I could do it too. She was a single mom as well? Yes. Yeah. 
Way cool. And what is mom's name? Linda. Linda, you did well. High five. Virtual <laughs> high fives to you, Linda. All right. Number two, where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck on a job? I have an ex-boyfriend who is also a painter and we, he's actually the, the guy I was talking about that I dated in auto body school. So I've known him for a very long time and we dated for quite a few years. Um, obviously we're not together anymore, but he, we're still friends. And whenever I have an issue, I, he seems to be the one I automatically think to contact. Clearly you respect him professionally. I do. Yeah. I think he's an amazing painter. What excites you most about what you do, Amy? I guess the uh, the end product, making something look pretty again, or thinking about the fact that I fixed something, it was trashed, and I I did it. I I made that look really pretty. I fixed that, you know. There's something so gratifying about that. I, I, I do home improvement projects around the house as well, and I think it's kind of a similar thing, particularly yeah. when you paint. The shittiest part is the prep. Ah, yes. God yes, bless it. it. But it's the most <laughs> important. It but is. It's like 90% prep, 10% paint. You know, it's like, oh, oh it's the worst part. But so then once not it's the done, sexy work. It's no. so not the sexy work. God, once it's done and you look at it and you're like, oh, and then you like go back for more, you know, and you're like, why do I do this to myself? And then you finish and it's like a vicious cycle. You know? Yeah, it's like this high. You're like, yeah, let's do this again. You're like, am I stupid? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Number four, what is a personal habit? or practice that has helped you significantly in the industry when you feel stuck or discouraged? A personal habit. A lot of times I'll just go, uh, like, go sit outside, clear my head, walk away. If you're having an issue with something, and especially with paint, paints, you know, it's kind of a time-sensitive thing. If you're trying to rush doing something and you're not letting it dry, and especially when you become discouraged and in my case with my anxiety, I, you know, it's all I can think about. And I, I try to get in and fix whatever is my issue as fast as I can without thoroughly thinking it through or without thoroughly letting the paint dry. And then I just make it worse. Um, so I guess I would just say walking away, I'll walk away and talk to one of my friends in the shop or go sit outside. Uh, I used to smoke. So that was, that was a thing I would do. I would go outside and smoke. That sounds past tense. You don't smoke now. No, I do vape. Um, this whole quarantine thing had me had me itching to buy cigarettes or when we were under quarantine. Got to do what I got to do. We all have our little vices, oh, whether it's God. caffeine, cigarettes, chew. I don't know. It's different for like, everyone. My God, my mental health could be just as dangerous as this virus. <laughs> Oh, that's great. What is your parting advice to other femcanics finding their way in the skilled trades industry? I would say if you need to take a break, take a break, take some time off if you feel like you don't want to do it anymore. 
find something else for a little bit, you'll end up coming back to it. But you gotta, you gotta kind of thicken your skin a little bit, unfortunately, especially when you're first getting into it. I guess just try to stay, keep your eye on the the main goal. Maybe I guess it's kind of hard to. There's so many different things that I could say. How about don't get discouraged? Try not to be discouraged. Or when you are discouraged, take a little break and then get back into it. That works. There's tons of other questions, but maybe there's a round two interview with you because there's so much that I want to talk to you about. Amy, thank you for being in the driver's seat today. I, I really enjoyed this conversation and I so appreciate your willingness to be open and vulnerable to create space for women to let their light shine shamelessly and without guilt and just know we're we're all in this together thank you thank you for having me my honor my friend i'm amy bogner i'm a refinish technician and i'm a femcanic molly gursky is in the driver's seat next she's the co-owner of driven restorations a classic car and truck restoration shop Every vehicle they build is meant to be driven and not intended to be a trailer queen. She was asked to participate in two all-female builds. Most recently, they had a 1959 T-Bird featured at SEMA in 2019. Be sure to tune in next week. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribes for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a Femcanic?